0: to Bibby.
1: Welcome to the Kings Insider
0: Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports California Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. And joining me today, we're doing a half car cast. Can we call it a half of a car cast, Doug? You're in the car. I'm not. Yeah, that
2: sounds, that sounds about right. That sounds about right.
0: All right. We have the Doug Christie on the line. Doug, what's going on, man? It's been a little while.
2: Hey, it has, man. You've been staying out of uh, out of trouble, staying out of the sun. You got yourself a tan. You've been out on the boat. You're living large, huh?
0: I am. I, I don't tan, though, Doug. It, that's not one of my options. I have three options. I have white, pink, or red. Okay. Those are my three options. <laughs> I choose well, ultra white. After,
2: after red, after red, there becomes a bit of beige, man. You, the ginger's tan, man. Come on.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Summer's been good. Vacations and uh, house building and all kinds of good stuff. But, uh, Doug, what are your thoughts on, on Vlade Divac's job this summer that he's done with this build of the Sacramento Kings? 10 Different players are are on the roster, on the 17-man roster, uh, that they're going to walk into camp with. But what are your initial thoughts?
2: You know, I I really like what Vlade and the staff have done. I You know, the youth movement, obviously, I really think that that is the way to go when you're going to try to compete against these mega teams. Similar to what Golden State did, that's how they built their team. They drafted, they developed. Now, those players have to develop, understand that. But you're heading in the right direction. I really like what I saw out of uh um, fox in um uh Darren Fox in summer league the speed that is an elite uh skill set of speed that he has and I think that the the jump shot and all the things that come along with that will happen in time. Justin Jackson was a was a pleasant pleasant surprise. I wasn't sure about him initially, but watching him, the ability to knock down the three ball, uh, the confidence that he has in his game, the, the shot making ability, the runners, and all those different things. Um, Frank Mason been a big fan of his. Uh, as you know, both of us have talked about him many many times. As a yep. young leader, I think he's yep. great. And Harry Giles is the X factor that you you kind of you take a flyer on, and if it works, boy oh boy. Uh, and then when you pair that all together with you bringing around second-year players like Scow and Papa, uh, they didn't you know play as probably well as I would like them to see them play in the summer league, but it is summer league, so um, we'll, we'll see what they bring during the regular season. Uh, has Willie been working on his game? I would think that he definitely has. And then you add a cast of, of veteran players, starting with George Hill. Um, you and I have talked about him many, many times. Uh, his leadership ability and all the different things that come with that. Again, Vlade, I think a smart deal signing him to a three-year deal with the third year being a team option, depending upon how things go. Uh, And will he stay healthy? Can he stay on the court? But the ability to teach young players, he's been through the pop system, he's been in Utah with Quinn Snyder. I think he will be fantastic. Vince Carter, uh, a guy – who is fighting against father time and he keeps on beating him but you know vince can bring the three ball he's gonna be able to explain to the wing players he played it at an extremely elite level and he uh he doesn't mind passing it forward actually i think that that ultimately he may get into television he may get into uh coaching because just looking and listening to what he has to say I believe that he he likes that uh zebo bringing him in I thought was a fantastic uh, thing for the big men to to make them uh, a bit harder to understand how to bang on the low post now this re- recent incident obviously does not vote well for that whole process but the thought process that went into doing all this I think is spot on him
0: yeah, I think so too. And I we'll discuss the Zebo situation here to start because he's put the Kings in a bad situation. And you know, strangely enough, this is the second straight season that a 36 year old longtime NBA veteran has hung this franchise out to dry. And surely we're going to have to let the court process take it, you know, kind of move through and see what happens here. I mean, I I know a little bit about what what could and could not happen here. It's very, very unlikely that he'll get any felony count or that he'll get any jail time. But, uh, you know, in the state of California, two pounds is a lot of marijuana. That's what is being reported. He's driving around with two pounds of weed in his car. Now, what does that mean? Like, you've been in an NBA locker room when, Someone's done something stupid off the court. And does it spill in, or do you guys pull together? Because my understanding, especially of last year's situation with Matt Barnes, is Matt Barnes, the person outside of outside of that locker room, and Matt Barnes inside the family was completely different. And Matt Barnes inside that family was a, a leader, a, a ringleader, and, and also someone that everyone kind of globbed onto, and so how do you separate those two and I mean again you've been in the locker room
2: You know I uh, so I talked about this yesterday on the Grant Napier show that Grant and I host and part of it is the the optics obviously are absolutely horrible and in 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 the eye of the fans and in the eye of public opinion it's going to be something that is terrible it's going to get ran through until you get to the bottom of it and figure it out whichever way it goes but in the locker room ham it's it's there's a different dynamic and that dynamic is uh now it has to be a healthy locker room obviously and i believe that's what the kings have In a locker room like our locker room, you take our Kings team, uh, that turns into the running joke. Everywhere he turns, there will probably be a backpack in his car, on his seat, and on the plane. And it it becomes something that galvanizes the team. Uh, Can he, if he does come back, can he use – His mistakes as a lesson to pay forward and teach these young guys about what not to do, that is a possibility. But inside of the locker room, if you have a healthy locker room, it turns into more of a running joke of something. And and I don't say that lightly as it's a joke, but that's how how athletes, that's how a family gets over it as opposed to uh, sweeping it under the rug. You, You talk about it, you make it something that's funny, and it's something that you can move past.
0: Now, if you're the Sacramento Kings, what do you do about this situation? Because again, this is kind of like an egg on your face situation that they keep trying to avoid. They'd had a really positive off-season, you know, losing Scott Perry after such a short time, uh even that, you know, played itself out pretty well for the Kings. They were able to bring in uh, a a replacement that everyone seems to be high on. But how do you deal with that as a franchise? How do you look at it and say, ah, you know, We've been a team that can't get away from this. How do we, I mean, clearly they they can't just waive Zach Randolph and, and pay him out, you know, $24 million over the next five years. I mean, they have to figure something out here. But the perception issue that this team keeps coming up with, how do you deal with that?
2: You know, this one isn't necessarily on the case. It's on the case because it's on their name. But this is something that he, the player that you just brought in. He wasn't in the fold. Uh, it, it's going to be something that has to get dealt with. I, I don't know if there's language in the contract that if he is convicted that you know they can get out of the contract. This is going to be an interesting situation as, as, as it unfolds because does this make Zach a bad guy? No, it doesn't make him a bad guy. It makes him that he made a really stupid mistake. And, and that is something, I mean, that normally you see in your younger players, but it happens to anybody at any time. And it's going to be interesting how Vlade and the staff deal with it because if you look at Zach from when he began his career, he got into some trouble in Portland, and they were known as the jailblazers and all of that. But since then, he's been an, an exemplary citizen. I mean, you talk to people in Memphis, and they – and speak about Zach in the highest regard and that's what I know of Zach from just playing against him and saying hello and meeting him I don't know him that well but uh, it's gonna it, I think it's gonna obviously have to get played out first hand in the legal system and you're gonna have to let that play out and then from there I'm sure that the NBA may have some sanctions that they want to put on it and then the Kings are going to have to act
0: accordingly. Yeah, I think you're probably right about all of that. The Kings are going to have to take a wait-and-see approach. I don't think any knee-jerk reaction here is warranted. Again, it's 2017. Uh, marijuana is is definitely considered, you know, a different— it's different than it was five years ago or ten years ago or even 20 years ago. So I, I think we're going to have to let this thing play out a little bit. I, I'm sure the league is going to hammer him with a, with a you know— long suspension, a two game, five game, something that sticks out and really hurts the Kings um, and hurts Zebo as well. Um, But let's move on to some more positive stuff because there, one of the players that you brought up there is Vince Carter, and he's a guy that you have a long standing relationship from from when he was a young player and you were in the league. What are your number one, explain to people what your relationship is with Vince and sort of. What can he bring to the table outside of, you know, flashes of old greatness and, you know, a a three-point shot? Um, But what else can he bring to the table?
2: You know, Vince, uh, I have Vince as a rookie in Toronto, and obviously he was the rookie of the year and just absolutely exploded onto the scene through the dunk contest. And people were thinking, oh, is he going to be more than a dunker? And I think that we've all saw that he was able to develop into what, you'd probably consider a hall of fame player and that is a credit to him that he didn't just depend on his athleticism but he continued to develop so in saying that that is the type of information that is able to pass on to a young player that you don't depend for instance De'Aaron fox such speed you don't always stay in sixth year you have to develop how do you develop you got to develop you know second and third and fourth gear to the young wing players like justin jackson who he can talk about the ability to develop other parts of your game that may be deficient right now because that's something that enabled him to not only succeed in the league but have an unheard-of longevity in the league as he goes into his 40s. So, uh, And then the positivity. Vince was always a positive guy. I I like that in the locker room and always like that about him. Uh, He comes early and stays late. Those are all the type of attributes that you want to be able to pass on if you are, uh, you know, if you're part of a team and you want to say, this is something that you can do. Watch me do it. Now I want to see you do it because it's going to help us as a unit to individually get better and then collectively grow as a group.
0: You know, Doug, you, you also, you've mentioned Josh Jackson a couple of times and for me of the rookies that we saw at at summer league, he's the one, I mean, De'Aaron Fox has so much skill. It's crazy, but he was the one that jumped off the screen and jumped up when I was there in, in Vegas and just like, holy cow, he, his game is mature. He has uh, a real calmness to him. He's got a bunch of tricks up his sleeve. He's not very quick, which is something that stood out to me. Not, only, I think he's quick. I don't think he's very fast uh, getting up and down the court. Um, he needs to add some strength, but what do you see from him, and how, how would you kind of project him as a rookie? Is he a player that you would tr- put your faith in for 15, 20 minutes a game, maybe more? Or do you think he'll be a lot like some of these other young guys that need time to develop?
2: No, I think obviously there are things that he needs to work on, and he has to develop as all players do. But looking at him as a uh, you know, he, he's a veteran, meaning that he stayed in college, I believe it was, three years He's a little bit of an older player, and I think that that's what you speak to when you talk about his game. Uh, I think that uh, he can be a guy that you can depend on for 15 or 20 minutes a game. I don't know if it'll start out that way, but most definitely. On the defensive end, I think is where he's going to you know, get his chops at first. But his ability to make shots and be a shot maker, I think, is huge you add a guy like Zebo into the post that's going to require a double team, for instance, you kick the ball out, now he's going to be able to stand out there and knock down shots. You get somebody running at him, he's going to be able to put the ball on the floor. You saw he had all the little runners, little push shots and things that I don't know that I didn't know that he had in his game. Uh, initially, you know, he kind of had the label of maybe quote unquote being soft or, uh, you know, not really locking in. I, d- I don't really know. But as I look at him, I that label you can throw out the door because I think that the kid can play. Uh, he's going to, like any rookie, he's going to have some work to do. But his upside, I, I really, really like what I saw out of him in summer league.
0: Yeah, I did too. Now, we walk into this season and I, I think Kings fans should be, uh, they should be excited about the added talent. They should be excited about the future this year is going to be very difficult. It's not a lot of experience besides the old guys. Uh, how difficult is this going to be for Dave Yeager to balance, you know, realistically five veterans and 12 young players with very little experience going, you know, some of which will go back and forth between Reno. We got two two-way contracts in there uh, and Jakar Sampson and, uh, and Jack Cooley. But how is how is Dave Yeager? How difficult is his job going to be for him this year to sort of figure out a way to bring along the young guys, but not completely give away the uh, the object of winning and, and just you know trying to keep going and building on this thing.
2: Well, he, he's obviously going to have to develop these young players. I think maybe the the toughest part might be to temper the expectations of you know the Sacramento Kings fan base that that might be the biggest you know part of it uh he's done this before he was in memphis when they brought in gasol and they brought in uh you know the the young point guard uh, conley jr and that's a learning process as well now the situation may be a little bit different but uh understanding that you have to develop these guys, and that means that they're going to have to get out on the court and they're going to have to get smacked around a little bit, I think is something that, uh, you know, Coach, you know he likes to go for the win. That's his thing, and you know he will be pushing that. So that means he will be pushing them. He will expect a lot out of them. The job will definitely be difficult, but uh, I think he will be up to the task. It's going to be how quickly quickly do they develop, how much time do they put in, not at practice but on their own away from it do they go to the gym at night do they live in the gym do they watch tape do they, are they studious all those type of things and if if they are it, it'll happen faster than we we hope but i would say temper expectations this year because you mentioned it you got veterans uh, Vince Vince Forty you got Zebo in, in his late 30s and it, it's it's going to be tough because you are going to be playing young young players in a tough, tough Western
0: Conference. That's right, it's a tough Western Conference. All right, I don't want to keep you all day. Is is there one matchup, though, that you're looking forward to? Uh, De'Aaron Fox versus Alonzo Ball, or, uh, I don't know, against Markel Fultz, or uh, one of these other uh, against Dennis Smith. What are you kind of looking forward to, the, the one, like, maybe schedule piece that's going to stand out to you that you can't wait to see this matchup?
2: You know... I mean, when you talk about our guy and and De'Aaron Fox matching up against Dennis Smith Jr., for instance, boy, oh, boy, that guy jumped off the screen, by the way. Doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it's not him matching up against those guys. I want to see him versus Steph Curry. I want to see him versus Damian Lillard. I want to see him versus the elite players because that has to be what he aspires to be, so that has to be his measuring stick. That's always – How I viewed it. I want to, if I could play Kobe every night or Michael every night, that's what I want to do because that's the ultimate test for where I'm trying to go. And that's who I want to see him play against. How does he match up uh, against a guy like Damian Lillard who comes at you a little different than Steph Curry does, but can he use his quickness? Can he can he get them in foul trouble at the same time? Uh, how, how is he on the defensive end? Because I like what I saw from him defensively, but can you play a defense without fouling and all those things? So, not necessarily the the rookie matchups; those will be very intriguing, obviously, because it's the Lakers, it's the Kings, uh, you know, it, it's Dennis Smith Jr. But I want to see him versus the elite of the elite, and how does he respond then?
0: There it is, the Doug Christie on his way on his way to the studio. Uh, thanks for jumping on and and doing. We'll call it the half car cast because you are of course driving. I am not driving, but the the half of the car cast. We'll we'll get back to the real car cast once the regular season starts.
2: No doubt about it, man. Appreciate you, big man. Go Kings.
0: Welcome back to the Kings Insider podcast on NBC Sports california.com i am james ham joining me in the second portion of the podcast like always mr aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com ab what's going on
1: yeah man i have uh, i've had a week i've uh, been recovering from a pinched nerve in my neck so if i haven't been on twitter uh you guys know why i've actually been bedridden with this thing and uh no other than that though getting ready for the season. I've actually busted out the laptop while in my hospital bed-like setup and um, just finishing up projections and getting our our draft guide for our fantasy basketball side over at Hoop Ball Ready. So uh, just getting ready for the season, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think we're all preparing for the season. Um, Clearly, uh, Zach Randolph was preparing for the season this week, um, (laughs) getting things perfectly ready for the season, uh, which... (laughs) he'll probably watch what the first 5 games maybe maybe less but um yeah things that's, aren't that's you know what i read an interesting this. go ahead go ahead i was going to say
1: five, 5 games i've i've heard a lot of takes on this about whether or not he would get suspended and then the report that it was 2 pounds of marijuana uh that was um a little surprising and um that that's quite a lot of weed
0: Yeah that's a lot of weed but uh, from my knowledge of California weed laws and uh, which is it's limited I'm not a uh, I'm not a pothead uh, but I do have friends that are police officers and you know I I heard of a, a gentleman who had like five or six pounds of weed in his car and he was hit with a felony right off the bat but um, he had brought the weed, he admitted to bringing the weed in from out of state, and so it, it basically was interstate transportation of weed, and even that they thought six pounds of weed would get pled down to a misdemeanor. So I don't think Zebo is going to do any jail time here. That's, I, I don't think that's the problem. Uh, in all honesty, um, you have to be somewhat progressive here if you live in California, uh, when it comes to the the marijuana laws, and I I think this is going to be like a smack on the wrist. Uh, in the first half of the podcast, we talked to to Doug Christie about uh, about this, and he said that most likely this is going to be like a something that the players joke about that they make in fun of him for in the locker room. That you know this they don't he doesn't think this will have an effect on his ability to lead or his ability to. Um, you know, to mentor young players, that this is one of those deals where, you know, the players n- understand that this is part of the NBA, that it's part of all of the, the world they live in, um, and, and especially in California. I mean, you do live in a very liberal state where, uh, where these things are, you know, it, it's legal uh, to have marijuana. It's not legal to have two pounds of marijuana. Uh, the distribution, the, the intent to sell aspect of this makes it not good and even more embarrassing for the league and for the Sacramento Kings. But that again is, it's not because he was actually selling it. It's because he had so much and you, anytime you're, I think you're allowed to have an ounce in the state of California. So he's what? 32 times the legal limit uh, of what you're allowed to carry. Um, So anytime you have that much, it's the quantity that instantly triggers the intent to sell uh because it's really hard to say like look I was just going to, you know, smoke this because you cannot physically smoke 32 well, you can't smoke 2 pounds of weed in like a day. It's not like a medicinal thing at that point. So this is going to be a strange situation. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a strange
1: one cuz I mean the the sheer volume of it it I mean, you could maybe start to try to manufacture reasons why he would have that much of it. You know, could be he just wanted to be the guy with the big old bag or something. Um, But that I think this all uh, we're all going to talk about kind of how this isn't a big deal. And it's not a big deal. You know, if anybody wants my personal opinion, I think this stuff should probably be decriminalized. Um, But, you know, because it is illegal. Agreeing with Doug's point about this probably isn't a big deal. The one part where you lose a little bit of ground if you're Zebo, if you're the Kings, whoever, is you put yourself in a position to get in trouble, to become a distraction. And to some degree, maybe not even that big of a degree, you lose the ability to say, hey, guys, don't do this. You know, don't don't go out there and be a distraction to the team. We don't need that right now for whatever reason it might be. And and that's the, the one piece of this that I think is kind of unassailable, and it's the part that I think people are disappointed in. But again, I was kind of never on the get excited about veteran leadership or overexcited about veteran leadership. I just think it's kind of a worn out trope. It's it's something where, yes, you know, there, there are good elements of veteran leadership that are very needed within a locker room, but it is obviously overstated in a lot of different cases and when something like this happens if you go out there and sort of trumpet this veteran leadership and almost oversell it well you put yourself in a position to have a little egg on your face when something like this happens which in all you know the grand scheme of things is not that big of a deal
0: yeah i, I think it's not that big of a deal like we're gonna see a play out i don't know how quickly but i, I mean this thing is going to play out and and, and it's probably going to go away relatively quick um, again, I don't see Zach Randolph going in and doing you know three months in prison for marijuana possession. Uh, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. There's not going to be anything made, no major ramifications. But I'll say this: for the second straight season, a 36 year old NBA veteran has basically done the Kings wrong, and that's what this is. That that's what to me is the most frustrating part. It's that you expect that when you get to a you know everyone makes mistakes when they're young type deal you know oh the demarcus Cousins saying i remember myself as a 22 year old man everyone said that again and again these are like seasoned veterans and i mean zach randolph uh, if you look at his past it's absolutely I, I mean when he was young he was arrested i think three times as as a high school student Uh, He was arrested, and one of those was like possession of three handguns, stolen handguns that he was going to sell to help pay for food and stuff for his family. Um, He stole some jeans uh, because his jeans were, he had no jeans. He had one pair of pants that he wore at school every day, uh, and people were making fun of him, so he went to a store and stole jeans. If you want to learn more about his past, there's this incredible Grantland story by uh, Jonathan Abrams, that basically chronologs the entire Zeebo life, um, but it's the like overwhelming theme is that it's never that far away from him. Like the the issues are never that far away. He had uh, one of his buddies was caught with a whole ice chest full of weed, in, t- I think it's 2010, and he was driving one of Zach Randolph's cars. Uh, there, there's this, you know, again this this understanding that. He has. He's a very good guy inside a locker room. He, he's he got a great personality. He's a family man now. Um, but he still, at times, surrounds himself with the wrong people. And that's something that, again, the Kings took a gamble on. And they took a gamble on Matt Barnes last year, and it didn't pay off at all. Now, I think they thought that Zach Randolph's issues were behind him. I don't think anyone could have thought that Matt Barnes' issues were like so far in the past because they weren't. Uh, but with Zach Randolph, I think you just hope for better, right? And what he's done is he's made the Kings, uh, he's put them on on the map again as a team that has a, an issue. And it's not just, I mean, while it probably will just all go away in some way, shape, or form, it's still the intent to sell. And now you've got to take him, and you have to attempt to sell him to a fan base that's done with the player issues like this they're done with the fights in the nightclub they're done with all of these things and they want to move away from them i mean this is how many arrests three arrests in the last year for the kings including darren colson that's not good It, it, it also
1: comes against the backdrop of of the way that demarcus cousins was ushered out by many in the media as well as the team itself to some degree saying that you know there was a big emphasis on character and again, echoing your points, you know, this is, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's a difference between Zach Randolph and Matt Barnes. Um, you know, Zach Randolph carrying around allegedly a, um, you know, two pounds of weed is kind of like a victim, pardon me, a victimless crime. And so, um, there's not, you know, I think we got to kind of be nuanced with the way that we talk about this, the way that you just said it is absolutely correct is, the Kings come out having to deal with an issue that they didn't want to deal with. It backfires on them, and it runs against the grain of what they've said. And um,
0: It runs against you know, the it, culture, it, the culture grain that they kept promoting, they're promoting, promoting. And and again, the other thing I'll point out, Matt Barnes was the leader of this team last year. Until the day they waived him, he was the leader <laughs> in the clubhouse. And, and so and that's
1: an interesting point.
0: Um, there's a weird to dynamic between well, do what I say and not what I do. Uh, yeah, it, well, and you would
1: hear that with the Kings players talking about how Matt Barnes had provided such great leadership. And that was one of the big issues on the floor for them last year is Matt Barnes had this green light to do whatever the heck he wanted on the court, off the court, whatever. And it was a strategic blunder if you think about it. And as far as, you know, folks that have probably played some sports in their life can can probably relate to this to some degree is that there was somebody on your team or teams that you follow Who doesn't do everything the right way, doesn't play by the rules, maybe breaks a few laws here and there, but because they are the leader of the squad or because they um,
0: kind of almost have that talent, they have talent because talent always wins out. Yeah, there's
1: there's a weird balance of what leadership is. and, And it's possible to some folks that. You know, that, that this actually is a good thing, you know, is like you have a little bit of cred. You went out there, you had some fun and you, you had your, your backpack full of weed and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that's probably not the case with this group. I would say that this group of youngsters has their heads screwed on straight. So I think that they're, you know, not to use that term nothing burger because it's absolutely dumb. But <laughs> this is this is kind of in that ballpark, but it makes the Kings, you know cringe it makes them a part of a bad headline and I for me I thought first thing was like this is why you don't get all loose about veteran leadership because no matter who it is what team we're talking about it always gets oversold
0: yeah yeah And, and I mean at this point you know the Kings have had some uh last year I think uh they did some good work in the community and especially DeMarcus Cousins and even Matt Barnes uh you know they they went into the community and had the conversations with the police and the youth of Sacramento about trying to mend fences between the police and and you know certain groups of people in Sacramento and, and certainly the youth uh, the uh, the youth of Sacramento you know trying to understand why it is that certain things happen with the police and and you know they they did all the role playing and all these things that you know they're really doing good work and. And so I appreciate that, and I think Garrett Temple is a guy who's been very outspoken. I mean, what you want is some sort of balance here, between you know, you do want guys that can that can teach guys how to be professionals, how to how to stay out of trouble. And so there is this this issue that you did put some faith in Zach Randolph. You did pay him twenty four million dollars over the next two years. You're not they're not going to buy him out if he were. I think if he were convicted of some felony charge, they would have the rights. There's some sort of morality clause that they could get out of his contract. I'm almost positive of that. But what they've done here is, uh, again, like they're they're making the script more difficult on themselves. And I hope that this thing again just kind of smooths over and we we move past it. I think a lot of fans are you know they're like okay this is this is typical uh, NBA stuff or typical you know, in today's society. And so I, I don't know, Aaron, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I just I think
1: it's just stupid and it's going to blow over. Yeah. Like that's, it's, it is again, that stupid term, the nothing burger. And I um, hate
0: covering it. I do. I hate covering it. it it's, yeah.
1: It's, I think it's a, you know, it almost brings back PTSD for a lot of Kings reporters. It's <laughs> the dog days just,
0: of summer. Just like something uh,
1: pops up and you're like, my God, not, not in any other city. Does do they have to deal with this kind of stuff? But <laughs> Yes, you move on like- and, and, and he's, I think, you know, I, like, I agree with Doug. I don't think he's going to lose a lot of standing in the locker room. I just think that, you know, this is the kind of thing though, if this was a serious playoff team, you know, and, and you're sitting there, you're Zach Randolph, say you get a two game suspension, you lose a little bit ability to to say to somebody who might act out in the future, Hey, you're being a distraction. You know, you're costing us game. You're, you're, you're yeah. punching the middle of the game. You know, when you retaliate and you get suspended for a game, You shouldn't have done that. You lose a little bit of oomph to be able to say that Um, this can always be spun as a teachable moment. I don't think these young guys really need that. That's just my opinion, seeing kind of how they are out in the community and and really just kind of the kind of guys that they are. Um, So, again, I don't really think this is a big deal, but we'll uh, we'll see how it all transpires. That's a I do think he will get just my I'm not a lawyer, but just kind of following this stuff. I think he would get pled down to a misdemeanor. Yeah. And and then it would be a judgment call for the league or the Kings on on what they would want to do with the suspension. I I can't see them going higher than two games.
0: I can see them going higher than two games, but that's Mm -hmm. just, that's just me. And I mean, I think we were all shocked last year with the eight game suspension from, uh, for Darren Collison. But you know, again, it's just like, it's deja vu. It's like, we thought you were supposed to be here to lead. And now we're dealing with really what amounts to just, ridiculous off the court stuff that should never be an issue. So, I don't we'll, we'll move on from it. We'll move on from it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I and I guess
1: you could pivot into the DeMarcus Cousins possibly arriving back in Sacramento on the 26th of October. I did think I saw a um a tweet with either some of those rolled eyes after the Zebo thing came out. Yeah.
0: I don't know if that was a a subtweet.
1: Of, That's what you got to love DeMarcus because
0: you never really know what he's tweeting about. You have an idea of what he might be tweeting about, but certainly the eye roll thing, um, yeah.
1: If, if that date is what it is, that's great. I mean, get that thing out of the way <laughs> as fast as you can if you're the Kings, if you're DeMarcus Cousins. I think both sides need to kind of have that moment and and move on. Um, that's going to be great theater, I, I especially with the way Rajon Rondo is a part of that mix you're going to have two players that that are really going to have it out for the Kings. Because basically Rajon Rondo was told to kind of kick rocks at the end of his tenure in Sacramento. So I would imagine that both of them are fired up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it will be an interesting night. It'll be a lot of emotion. Um, You know, I, I don't have any confirmation on the date. That's something that the NBA schedule hasn't come out at all. And I don't know how you get the advance on when... Uh, a nationally televised game is and the Kings get very few nationally televised games Um, and according to Carmichael Dave right this is a TNT game Uh, that's
1: where the report came from yes
0: yeah Yes. so I have no idea where to go with that I just know that you're right it is something the Kings need to get out of the way they need to get it out of the way and gone uh, so their fans can move forward I expect some sort of tribute to DeMarcus Um, I expect uh, a mixed reaction during the game. I think he'll get a nice ovation when he comes out on the court. I think he'll be extremely emotional. And then as soon as anything happens that reminds you of some of the things that he brought to the table, I think you'll hear spatterings of booze. Uh, And then you'll also, you know, he's probably going to drop 40 or 50 on the Kings because he's really going to come out. Costa plays big minutes in that game, right? Because Costa, Costa, every time
1: he snared a rebound of Demarcus Cousins, he he would get a little snide look. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that matchup right there.
0: Yeah, I think Costa will play. I I think Zebo will play against him a bunch. Uh, And then the Kings are kind of, you know, uh, what do we do now? Because I don't know, Willie Kullystein, if he's gained 15 pounds in the offseason, which I don't think he has maybe he could get low enough to to defend demarcus a little bit but uh demarcus is just you know as far as talent on the court he's an incredible player and i I loved watching him play and i'm excited to see him and and say hello and and, you know kind of get this thing past everyone and and just kind of move forward um and, and hopefully he can do that as well and this doesn't become like every single time it's some big fanfare because That's just not healthy, and if he's not in New Orleans next year, what happens then? Is it like every time he plays the Kings and the Pelicans, he's got bad blood? I mean, I I don't know how this really should play out, but I I think fans should appreciate the six-plus years that Cousins had here, the three all-star appearances, the Team USA gold medal that he won while a member of the Sacramento Kings. I think those are all things that Kings fans should applaud and say thank you for you know the the player that you were here in Sacramento, and then kind of move on. Yeah, Willie Colley Stein. I'm I wonder how that that Navy Seal training's gone. We
1: haven't we haven't seen anything or heard anything on that. I forgot about that. Yeah, that, I mean that that was like a big deal. Um, you know, I, I I Willie, this is a big year for Willie. I know we didn't you know talk about talking about him today, but um, you know, he, he showed a weird transition last year of of defense to offensive player. Um, and at times, you know, rebounding was obviously an issue early on, but even defensively, you know, just not a lot of steals and blocks. Um wondering what version of Willie, because it feels like he's going to reinvent himself every single year. Um, what version of Willie do you get? And, and what would something like Navy SEAL training actually do there?
0: Yeah, you know what, let's segue into into that. We We are taking on the position by position as we go through, and... So the last week we took on the shooting guard position. We were going to talk about the wing position today, but you know what, Aaron? Let's talk about the let's talk about the center position instead because yeah, let's do I, it. I think it's about it's a very very intriguing situation. The small forward spot, it's you know Garrett Temple and a bunch of young guys, but the the center position, um, we have Papionis, which you know I, I expect Papionis to spend a tremendous amount of time in Reno. Once again, he did not have. Uh, any way, shape, or form, a a huge showing in summer league, um, and and then we have Costa and we've got Willie, and in a small ball situation we might have Scow playing this, the the five, uh, so I, and, and maybe even Zebo playing the five in in certain situations. So they have a lot of depth at that position. Um, who do you think starts? We starting opening I, night.
1: If I had to put money on it, I'd put Costa in there. You know it, it's not my choice um but i do think that costa runs the offense the way that dave yeager wants the offense to be run and so you're gonna see a lot of uh, dribble handoff you know at the elbows you're gonna see him kind of just monitoring that that paint area um whether or not it's as big of a deal as it was last year because pairing him with demarcus cousins was such an odd fit Um, Maybe it works this year. A a lot of this with that position comes down to combinations. And again, how are you running this offense? Because if you're going to run that horns offense 60, 70 percent of the time down the floor, um, you know, you got to have big men that can make decisions with the ball. And with Costa, it's all very simple. He's not looking for his own offense. He's really just looking, where do I go next? And everything does flow. Now, you do have a zone defender in the paint that's going to cut off everything in the lane. So where do the Kings go with that? Um, You know, I think he could pair quite nicely with Scal. Mm Scal is going to have to be able to rise up and shoot. He'd have to be a little bit more aggressive with the ball. Um, You know, with Zebo, he's got a little bit more of a kind of a paint game. Um, Though Zebo has sort of retreated to the corners of the floor where he, he does that mid post fadeaway jump shot um, that, that might work. With a um Costa Kufis on the floor because you you really don't lose anything. Um having Costa say on the other block where where the guy's basically in a one on one situation with Zebo. If if they play him too close, Zebo can still go around him, and if they don't play close enough, Zebo can just sit there and hit that little set shot. So it's it's combinations, but I do think that Costa, especially early on, I'd slot him in for twenty minutes if I had to predict right now.
0: Yeah, you know what? I like what Costa brings to the table as well. Uh, we've seen video. First of all, Costa is one of the best human beings you're going to run into. Such a, a good dude, and he's a guy who can fit in with almost any group. He's a hard worker. Uh, again, if you've seen his his videos that he posts every once in a while, he does work on his game and his body. Um, if I were to put money on a uh, like a if, if the Kings were to have like a uh, a bodybuilding competition back behind the scenes, where you know they were showing who's like the most, who's in the best shape and who's ripped, uh, Costa is probably going to win that. He's super strong, super lean, takes care of his body, understands that this is a business. He's a player that will retire with more money than he ever made as an NBA player. He will have made his money work for him. He's a smart guy. His father was a doctor. Uh, well put together guy. And and so I, I think Costa does provide probably the best option if you're going to go with Scowl at the at the power forward position. Um, I think what we have here is two combinations that you can probably go with. I don't believe the thin towers are a good fit for this team this year uh, for extended minutes as far as starting. I think the Kings should go with either Zebo and Willie Cauley-Stein or Costa and Scowl. And I think what really might determine this is how seriously Willie Cauley-Stein took his offseason. And he did not take last season uh, offseason the right way. He did not come in ready to play. He got destroyed in summer league last year. Uh, he came into training camp and was a complete non-factor and had to fight his way into the Dave uh, Yeager re- rotation and I think down the stretch, stretch, he showed some really nice things. He showed that he does have a little bit more offense than we thought. Uh, he rebounded much better. But all of these things that he did is sort of, it's symptomatic of the enigma that is Willie Cauley Stein. And it's that his potential has always been there to be great. But whether he can focus on being great and doing do the things that you have to do in order to get there, is a whole other set of questions. And so I think the Kings are going to take a very cautious approach to who and what he is, because I still don't think they know who and what he is, and I don't think Willie knows who and what he is. And I think what Willie thinks he is and what he really will be at the NBA level are completely two totally different things. And I also think that a 30-game sample size without DeMarcus Cousins, where Willie was given all this opportunity It probably opened Pandora's box because (laughs) Willie did a lot of damage against bad teams on a bad team who was getting, he was getting way more touches than he will get again this season or any other time during his career, most likely. And he's going to have to prove that he's a reliable offensive weapon. He's a reliable defensive player. He's a reliable rebounder because so far he has not shown any of those things in his first 2 years. He's just shown flashes that he can do all of them at elite levels but for like 3 minutes and that doesn't cut it.
1: And this is this is what player development is all about cuz
0: you see if like just imagine Willie
1: playing for the Spurs, right? And, and Greg Popovich who or pick, you know, a team that you like
0: that does this well. If you said the Spurs, I would tell you this, Willie Colley Stein wouldn't wouldn't be on the Spurs.
1: I mean, OK, there's something to be said for for stuff like that, because the Spurs are very particular about the players that they draft and they don't deal with any sort of um, any guff. And so um, you maybe you're right. Who knows? Uh, I would say this, though, you know, going through the whole George Carl thing set him back significantly. And it speaks to having a real clear focus on what you're doing with young players, why you're doing it. And, and, and really, kind of dealing with the realities of that, which in, in Willie's case, he wasted that year. Um, you know, he kind of got told by media, told by people in the league that, hey, you know what? You're getting screwed over. You're I good.
0: He, I think he bought something that no one was selling and he bought it on his own, though, because he came in last season as opposed to bulking up and being ready to go bang in the post. He came in the last season with like a whole summer full of... Like, like Rick Vaughn in
1: Major League Two.
0: Yeah, he came in shooting three-pointers and, yeah. and thinking that he... I mean, he worked with Peja, which I don't think... When we say work with Peja, I don't think that means that he worked like, you know, 17 days during the summer with Peja Stojakovic on shooting three-point shots. I think Peja worked with him a couple of times on his base, how to, you know, how to shoot from your legs and, and up through your body and and how to repeat the same thing. And then certain times you saw it, and other times you saw Willie Cauley-Stein with the narrow base look like he was about to fall over while he's shooting his jump shots. Um, so I don't think all of that stuck, although the, the release did because he was hitting a lot of those, even though he was off balance. Um, but it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Dante Green situation from you know 2010 when I first started covering this team. That he went into the off season being told that he was going to be the small, he was going to compete for the small forward position with Omri Caspi, and he came into training camp thirty pounds overweight, acting like he he had planned on playing power forward, playing some stretch four and some power forward position. No one told him to do that, and that was an excuse. That was an excuse because he did nothing and he got fat, and it's one of the reasons why he's no longer in the league, unfortunately. But he got so far out of shape that he couldn't even run up and down the court. And the Kings had to spend the first two, three weeks of training camp just trying to shave off 10, 15 pounds of just pure you know, water weight that didn't need to be there at all. And then then they had to start like putting him into a position where maybe he could start competing for a small forward position.
1: But, but look at the end of, his, of Willie's year with Carl. What did he do in that year? Like at the very end, he started hitting a couple jumpers. You know, showing this real good all around uh, all-around game, and with no kind of leadership kind of in place at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and and waiting until you know the Dave Yeager regime kind of gets get the boxes boxes moved in and move into the house, so to speak, he goes into that off season thinking he needs to become a more versatile offensive player, and finds out amidst a lot of really kind of glowy coverage, you know, from the team. Willie's our guy, you know, he's kind of one of the positives from this last season. We're going to kind of build around that. And I think Willie heading into the summer league really thought that he had a lot of leash with that offensive game. And what he found out was that he had no leash and that he needed to be rebounding and playing defense. And it didn't matter what he brought on the offensive end. And Dave Yeager made him an afterthought for the first half of the season. So from a developmental standpoint, due to a lack of communication overall, due to a lack lack of shared goals, that whole first one and a half seasons was pretty much a waste. And then you get to the post-Demarcus Cousins era and you really just kind of let you know Dave Yeager just kind of rolled the ball out there and said, Okay guys, go do your thing. And Willie, you know, had way more touches than he probably will will have yeah, at yeah. the NBA level. And you're right, it is the enigma of this off season because a Willie that's kind of optimized, if you will, that knows his role on offense, but really protecting the rim on the weak side, getting in there and rebounding and, and starting to deal with some of the deficiencies that are clear on tape, like challenging three-point shooters is something that I think for two years, even the most kind of casual Kings fan knows Willie doesn't challenge three-point shooters all that well. Is he going to come into this season with a real good understanding? Okay, here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. Here's what this team needs me to be. and and then really approach it like that we just don't know so when we find out what that will be he's that kind of interchangeable piece where I mean theoretically you could probably play him next to Costa Cufas for a little bit and not lose too much because I mean what's the difference between Willie and Scal at some level and we're already talking about doing that Um, but you're right you got to split those thin towers up it really is about skill I think You know, with with Zach being the most skilled of these four players, and then somewhere between Willie and Scal, you'd get a little bit, you know, kind of a halfway point in terms of skill. Because if you put two guys that aren't skilled together, you know, like the Thin Towers at this point in time, I think that bogs down offense. And I think on defense, you're going to have a little bit of trouble and you're going to have trouble rebounding. So splitting those two up makes a lot of sense. But Having enough skill on the floor is probably what Dave Yeager is looking for.
0: Yeah, I think Scal has a tremendous amount of skill. I think he doesn't have a lot of strength and he doesn't have a lot of experience because he he did not hardly play at all at Kentucky in his one year there. And so I mean, he comes in really needing to like a, a crash course in what is basketball. And so I, I just think like Willie had three years at, at Kentucky like he should have come into the league with a more defined understanding of who and what he was as a player and then try to get better at who and what he is every step of the way. And that's really, to me, it's the biggest, like, it, it's bad news when you walk into a season with 10 players with two years of NBA experience or less. Because now what you're faced with is 10 players who do not know who and what they are at the NBA level and what their ceiling is. And they're gonna to try to show you that what their ceiling is each and every night. And while that sounds like a good thing, people are gonna push each other, they're gonna do extraordinary things, it's not a good thing. Because that means that no one is actually doing fundamentals of basketball, doing things that make your teammates better as opposed to just yourself. It's that, That's the, the biggest thing that it, uh, an NBA player has to learn it's why the Spurs are so successful because you come in and you are stri- stripped of everything you know as a basketball player and you are pigeonholed into one thing that this is what you're going to do and if you don't do this for me then you're going to sit on the bench and if you're going to sit on my bench you're going to keep sliding down my bench and then until you're not going to be on this team anymore so you do what I tell you to do and that's it when you have 10 guys that don't really know who and what they are as NBA players you're going to run into problems and so again, I think Willie is the the giant poster child for this, and I hope uh, yeah, well, I hope that he comes in as a guy who allegedly could defend five guys because at this point, I don't think he can de- de- defend one position on the floor at at an elite level, and that's something that I, is surprising because he was he has all this potential and all this this athleticism and, and length and leaping ability and and so you expect these things out of him but it's the the fact that he doesn't know who and what he should be and he's not listening to who and what he should be as an NBA player that's going to hold him back. So Costa Kufis knows exactly who and what he is. Costa's not pulling up for some 18-foot jumper unless that's the last option and he's taken 5,000 of them during the offseason. He's going to well, go in good. and give you what what he gives you.
1: Yeah, that's something a coach looks for is is you might even do something poorly, but at least I know what you're going to do and I can plan around it. So um, all of that stuff is really going to dictate whether or not this whole grand experiment the Kings are doing right now works. Um, You know, Scal included Scal's in that same bucket where you need to know that he knows what he's doing when he's out there and developmentally. You know, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen it in in summer league. We haven't seen it at the end of last year. It's kind of why I was, you know, as far as if I had my druthers developing the team, I would say, you know, let's really put a heavy focus on Scal so he can feel the game, so he can kind of feel the outer bounds of what he's capable of and and really get a good feel for just how he's approaching that particular situation because we're going to... Head into this season, and he's going to go through that same feeling out period. And It's all going to happen, um, you know, at the 20, 30, 40 game mark, as opposed to trying to subtract 10, 20, 30 games off that last year. Um, but as far as uh, you know, the way that this all kind of comes together, I, I do think you're going to see Co- Costa, I think you're going to see Randolph, you know, in kind of heavier doses 25 minutes a game for Randolph, uh, maybe 25 minutes per game for Costa with the Thin Towers you know, filling out the other twenty three minutes per game. Um, you know, if the if the Kings decide to go small, you know, you could expand a little bit of um minutes for those guys. I don't know how that might work. Um, you know, small forward positions pretty pretty empty at this point. So, um, you know, it's really four guys, two slots, and, and you can see the veterans play a lot early on.
0: Yeah, I, I think in my opinion, if I'm gonna break up minutes now, I'm gonna go 20 minutes for Costa and 22 minutes for uh for Zebo and I'm going to go 28 minutes for uh, for Scal and whatever's left there. What do we got?
1: You going to go 28 for Scal early? Yep. I I think that's I, am- that's awesome. I that's... think
0: what they're going to do is they're going to give him every opportunity to be a featured component in this team. And they're going to try to get him going and, and try to get him some confidence early and, and try to play through him. Um, maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I don't think I'm going to be wrong by much. I mean, it could be 26 minutes, so a 26-22 minute split between those two, between him and zebo at the uh, at the four. But I, I think we're going to see that those extra two minutes come at the center position. So I would guess we're gonna see 20 minutes, maybe 22, uh, at at the center position for Costa, and you're gonna see 20, maybe 23 minutes for Willie Cauley Stein, and then you're gonna see a couple of minutes stolen there by Scal as they when they go small and they really start to move up and down the court and start running. Josh Jackson playing uh, a little bit of uh, Justin Jackson, sorry playing a little bit of the the four um, and you know that's what I think I, I think they're gonna try to go young and, and fast and go crazy on you
1: I, I have um, some projections to update if that's the case with scout and I think that's the best way to handle this I think that you know a lot of these young guys should be playing way more minutes than they're gonna end up playing um, and and I think that this stuff about earning minutes is is very overwrought um, but as far as uh, a wish list item, I would say I would like to see less of Zebo playing with Costa Cufas, um for the mere fact that if you put Zebo on the floor with Willie or Scal, there's something that happens when you play with players that are demanding and that have experience and that are very good. If you stand in the wrong place, if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to hear about it. So, speaking to that veteran leadership thing, let's milk it for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. Getting Zebo on the floor with those two, and by the way, both can help uh, account for his inability to jump over a piece of paper and, and therefore are good fits. I, I just think that that would be a wish list item, you know, in in terms of pure development. So they can kind of feel what playoff basketball feels like. Cause, you know, Coast is a great guy and, and all of that. Um, is he going to be barking at them? Is he going to really be demanding of those two? Maybe a little bit, maybe even a lot. But he can't come to it with the experience of Zach Randolph, who has gone and beaten better teams deep into the playoffs. So I think that, you know, you, you got to have that pairing. But I worry a little bit that your, your most ready veterans, you know, it, it, there is a line of thought that those two could start together and, and play a significant amount of minutes, play 25 minutes per game with each other. And you're not going to get more than 25 minutes than out of Zebo so yeah, that would be my wish list item for the for the bigs.
0: Yeah, that would be a little strange. And we talked about this before. There's going to be some sort of mix that the Kings have to go with here, and that includes, you know, George Hill starting, uh, but but De'Aaron Fox playing substantial minutes as well. Uh, it, it's gonna, you know, they have to balance out this youth and this. Uh, this veteran these five veterans that they have and and I don't think what you do is start five veterans every night and then have five guys come off the bench and and show just really how young you are and I I think they're gonna have to mix and match and it's gonna it's gonna be a puzzle that's gonna take Dave Yeager plenty of time to figure out but I think certain players are gonna force the hand and that's what you want guys that they come in and demand minutes that's what you're looking for and hopefully, hopefully the Kings can have guys that do that. And, you know, they're going to yeah, have to have but, one, one or two of these young guys step up and be that guy.
1: Both, both Willie and Scal need killer instinct. That's, that's, I think, what both of them, you know, kind of lack in their game right now. And um, that would be, you know, if Zebo can bring that to the table for those guys, then uh, that would be huge. I think both of those guys with killer instinct would be, you know, um, players that teams would want on their team.
0: Yeah. All right, Aaron, so do you have any final thoughts? No, 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 no,
1: no final thoughts today. Just um, everybody be good.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say final thoughts. I'm not going to get super political, but just be nice to people. It's just ridiculous what's going on out there. And uh, I hate to see things like this, the violence that we're seeing, uh, fed to us 24 hours a day, uh, whether it be abroad or whether it be here in the United States. Uh, This isn't what we should be doing as people, uh, as a country. And, uh, so be nice to people and knock off the, the craziness and, uh, let's, let's try to survive this, this world together. So Aaron, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll be back next week. Um, thank you to Doug Christie, my good friend, Doug Christie for hopping on and joining us in the first half of the podcast for Aaron Brewski, Uh, I am James Hamm. That's going to do it for this edition of the NBC Sports, California Kings Insider Podcast. See you soon.